Hello, everybody. Welcome along again to another episode of Health Wealth Podcast. Uh, going to have a very interesting episode today. I have got Ricky Duplessis with me uh, to have a chat about um, his story, um, his background, you know, his health journey that he had, um, his, his book he's written about it as well, and just get into some of the uh, some of the details around nutrition. So, first of all, Ricky, how are you doing today? Yeah, good. Thank you, Ryan. I'm excited to join you on the podcast. Yeah, uh, so thank you for the opportunity. Um, and yeah, been good. Been a busy week, but happy to get to the end of it. Good. Yes, always. Yeah, it's good. Um, so I think a great place to start is is the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. So if you if you want to just take us back to wh- wherever your journey in, into health and nutrition really started for you. Yeah, so i um, always been a very active guy. Um, had a few bouts of serious injury uh, through my late teens, uh, did, did the ACL on my left leg. Um, I had to have that replaced. And that that was the first time in my life where I noticed that I couldn't just eat whatever I wanted because I absolutely ballooned. Um, but then sort of got active again off the back of that, uh, redid it again a year later, um, and then made do without since then. Um, but oh, life being what it is, the, the elixir of youth sort of starts to wear off as you go through your 20s and, and head towards your 30s and then through your 30s that, that catches up with you. Um, and it was early 2018 uh, where I had to sort of face the facts that I couldn't eat whatever I wanted anymore. Um, I was in the gym. I was working out as active as a sedentary day job and married life with young kids would allow me to be, but I was just getting fatter and fatter and fatter as well as having a decent level of muscle mass um, and had to face the fact that something was wrong. So I, I love food. Like I'm a big foodie. I've, I've been cooking for myself since I was about 11. Um, I, I really have a good love for food and the thought of having to starve myself to lose weight scared the hell out of me. And I just didn't want to do it. So that thankfully drove me down the avenue of trying to look for dietary approaches, which would allow me to eat until I was satiated, not have to starve myself, but still get the goals that I wanted. And along that sort of journey, I I stumbled across the world of low carb nutrition, keto specifically. And I thought, well, here we go. I'll, I'll give this a try. I gave it a three month trial. And long story short, we were sort of, five and a half, nearly six years down the line now. Um, and yeah, just went deep down that rabbit hole. So I did extremely well on keto across the whole of 2018 and into early 2019, lost a ton of weight, got into really good shape, um, started to discover some health issues that I had previously not known. Um, for example, I have IBS uh, caused by a gluten intolerance. I thought that the stomach cramping and the severe gas was just part of everyday life. I thought it was normal. Um, I'd had it for that long. As long as I can remember, I've had that issue. And the gift of hindsight being 2020, I can sort of look back and go, yeah, okay, it's with a big bowl of pasta or, or something that's really gluten heavy like that. Like I would then suffer for the next sort of eight, nine hours. Um, but like I said, I thought that was normal until it went away. And then I sort of like, it's like, wow, this is what digestion should be like. Like I shouldn't be in pain and I shouldn't have all this gas and I shouldn't be clearing rooms. Like this is unheard of. 
Um, so there was that. Uh, also struggled with chronic lower back pain for many, many, many years. Um, had sort of been down the route of getting seeing the doctor, getting a referral, seeing an orthopedic surgeon, um, getting steroid injections in the back, getting all sort of scan work done, and had them turn around to me and go, "Wow, it's just mechanical low back pain. It's it's there's nothing we can do for you." Um, but in my journey into sort of low carb nutrition, I discovered that especially if I was fasting, so if I if I would go through an extended fast from sort of forty eight hours onwards, the pain's completely gone. I can bend, I can touch my toes, I can do everything pain-free, even first thing in the morning, where I used to struggle for the first couple of hours in the morning, like putting on my socks was a mission because of how sore my back was. And that led me to sort of start to understand that, okay, maybe there's something dietary there. Maybe there's something that's causing inflammation around the facet joints of, of the lower lumbar spine. And that's what the real issue is. Maybe I haven't done any structural damage as such. And then tweaking my diet more and more and more started to eliminate the inflammatory stuff and, and, and yeah it went away and it'll come back if I eat badly like it'll come back with vengeance um, but yeah if I eat correctly it, it's gone so yeah so I didn't realize I had certain dietary caused health issues but discovered them along the way just by cleaning up the diet and I've done really well since um, I have fallen off it a couple times um, across 2019 into sort of like mid 2019 into 2020 fell completely off because I was finishing off a master's degree and being a full-time worker, full-time dad, husband, uh, I just didn't have time to cook for myself. So I ate for convenience and I knew sort of what I was getting myself into. I knew that I'd, I'd suffer for it, but I had limited time. I had to finish my dissertation and yeah, priorities were priorities but all the way back on, had all the symptoms and the issues come back, um, suffered for that, ballooned again. Um, and then the nice thing was during that time, I had learned to love the science aspect of all of this. Um, and I would sit and I'd geek out during the workday where I'm not on conference calls and I'm not doing anything that facilitates or requires talking to another person. I'll sit and listen to podcasts. And I geeked out the entire time through, um, stumbled across Carnival. And I thought, mm, that, that sounds good, sounds interesting. Let me, let me give that a go. Um, took me three attempts to get myself into it. The, the cognitive dissonance was, was very, very real. The thought of not needing any plant foods, not needing any vegetables, even the sort of the, the holy grail vegetables from a keto perspective, your cruciferous veg and everything like that. Like two failed attempts finally got my head wrapped around it and I've been carnivore since June 2022 so just over a year and a bit now um, and loving it like really doing well on that yeah that's amazing yeah I was probably similar amount of time that we've been on on carnivore actually yeah um, it's about about a year and a half that I've been that I've been doing it now um, nice. What 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 was it that in your two failed attempts? What was it that that went wrong? Could, did you just keep adding back in things that you you shouldn't have? Yeah, I, I just defaulted to sort of keto meals. Like you had to have some, a bit of veg in there because you had it drilled in. If you've if you've listened to anyone like uh, Dr. Eric Berg, who will carry on about seven to ten cups of, of low carb veg a day. Um, it, it was just right in the back then. I couldn't get it out of my head. I couldn't get my head wrapped around the fact that you don't actually need it. It's not adding any nutritional benefit to you, really. Um, but yeah, sort of 
got into it from June last year and, and haven't looked back. I've, I've loved it. Yeah, that is awesome. I think um, it's great to hear you talk about the other issues that cleared up with your eating as well, because yeah. like you said, um, we don't realize what's causing them. You know, that one of the best things about eating this way is there's all these side effects you get that you never even yeah. realize. Like you said the joint, I was a couple months into it and I suddenly realized after the day after football, my joints don't hurt anymore. And, and you don't even realize all these things and everyone's walking around unaware. Like you said, with the, with the gas and the bloated stomach and the cramps, everyone's walking around. I was just saying, everyone just thinks that's how you feel after eating. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you, you don't even realize it's an issue. It's not, it's not that you're aware there's an issue there. Uh, it, that was just, I thought that was digestion. Like, and it's so common as well across so many people that it really is a thing that everyone will joke about, everyone will talk about. It's just a part of normal everyday life. You don't realize that actually that's a symptom that something's not quite right. Your, your digestive tract isn't enjoying something in what you're eating and you shouldn't feel like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Even even just as it's funny that how many people I speak to have done carnivores say the exact same thing about gas. Like, you know, everyone thinks it's just normal to have gas and then you just suddenly you just don't have any and you realize that that's how our body should be functioning. Like you say, a normal person going through life, you don't think that gas is a sign of something wrong, but but it oh, is. The, the best part is the myth that it's protein farts. Like, I've coming from a very active background, I used to be big into all the supplementing and the gym and the protein powders and the shakes and all of this sort of stuff. And that stuff will give you gas at clear rooms. It's not the protein that's doing that at all because I eat just meat and eggs now, a little bit of dairy here and there, and I've got no gas. Yeah. Like, that's the, it's, it's the same yeah. with the, the bloatedness, isn't it? Because, you know, everyone's bloated after every meal and you say, well, you know, if you eat properly, you won't mm. be bloated. But then they say, oh, well, when I have a roast dinner, I eat loads of meat and I'm bloated. So, yeah that's the vegetables and the and the potatoes doing that yeah, you just have the meat and you're I, I don't remember the last time I was bloated after a meal I, I honestly can't remember and some of the meals I've eaten have been pretty huge I'm not a mm. I'm not a big guy but I don't remember the last time I was bloated yeah no exactly it's 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 very eye-opening when you get on the other side of it and you start to feel how your body would otherwise be um and, and the best part as well it's not nice having gone through it, but the benefits of knowledge and experience that it's given me when I've fallen off the track um, and feeling all the symptoms come back and then to have them completely reverse again by getting back to clean eating, it, it's just that proof in the pudding that, that yes, it is diet that's causing this. And yes, if you clean your diet up, it goes away. It's not getting old. Um, it's not just an everyday part of life. It's, yeah, it, it's all in your nutrition. That's it. it. It reinforces it, doesn't it? I, I've had one or two experiences the same. I, I've not, you know, completely fallen off it at all. But now and again, I'll allow myself a little treat, you know, with the family. Yeah. As you know, obviously, you said you've got wife and kids. I have two. We've got young kids. So now and again, but I, I do feel the difference. Even just like one, I'll be one treat and straight back on, and and you feel it, and it does reinforce it. I I feel like a lot of people when we tell them about all the benefits. I I feel like a lot of people don't believe us, um, and I feel like mate you know maybe when i was stuck in that world potentially i wouldn't have believed you telling me all those yeah. benefits from food because we just we don't put two and two together do we until you experience it yourself it's kind of hard to understand how good it really is yeah it's like trying to explain brain fog to someone who's never had the brain fog lift like, yeah I, I can't 
I can't articulate it in a way that they'll understand. They have to experience it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I was listening to a podcast yesterday, actually. Um, I think it's Homestead Howe. I don't know if you've listened to him or he's an American guy. Um, he was no. he was he was talking to um, a lady in the carnival community who had really bad depression her whole life. And she said that when she started carnivore and she just woke up without all that stuff in her brain, she was like, hold on a minute. Is this how everyone else is walking around? Like that. <laughs> She she just thought it was normal to have that brain fog, to have all this anxiety, depression. Suddenly she cleared the food and suddenly she had a clear mind and she, she couldn't believe it. It's, um... yeah, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Chris Palmer's work. And, mm, and the yes. book he's recently written, Brain Energy, like that. That is it's scary, scary stuff, but also phenomenal. Like to know that there's there's something the individual can do within the control of their day-to-day normal routine that'll have such a profound impact over their mental health. Like mental health in this day and age, I mean, I'm, I'm 38 now, so I've, I've sort of seen us come through from where it wasn't really spoken about. It was a bit of a taboo thing. You, you sort of like grown men don't cry, all that sort of stuff, to the point where now it, it, it's really at the forefront of everything. And it's all about, okay, be open about your mental health. And, and, and that's all great stuff. But the one thing that's missing is what to do about it. And I come very much from the camp where me talking about it has limited benefit. If I'm having a tough time being able to bounce ideas off of mates and colleagues, like, fantastic. Um, but the power of being able to do something in my dietary lifestyle that takes away the struggles like that is something that just it should be shouted from the hilltops yeah, and it's, it's just not yet but hopefully we'll get there yeah hopefully it's we're, we're just stuck in that in the whole medical industry in that mm. just treating them um, symptoms not causes isn't it it's 100%. just you know you're depressed so like you say talking to someone letting your feelings out could help you in the moment but if it's not doing anything about the cause of it then it's not many different, you know. They they throw the the what are the the SSRIs at everyone, which they're on, which also mess their body up even worse. Meaning their diet has an even worse effect on them, and, and it's not being cured. And again, it's another thing that sounds so crazy until you get into the space and you hear all these stories and you experience it yourself. To say changing your diet could cure your depression sounds crazy. It does, um, yeah. but, but it's not crazy. It works exactly, and it's not just the diet. I mean what Chris is pointing out about the mitochondria being yeah. or dysfunctional mitochondria being the onset of most, if not all mental illnesses like schizophrenia, chronic depression, autism, all sorts like that, that that's controversial stuff. And I can see a lot of people getting upset about it, but when you look at the information he's unpacking and it's not, it's not experimental work that he's done per se he's unpacking experimental work that's been done since the early 1900s and putting the case for it it's extremely compelling um and i think anyone who is eating this way or and, and not even necessarily carnival but anyone who's eating genuinely animal-based low carb will be able to tell within themselves the difference mentally that that's made yeah absolutely and you're right about it's not just diet's one part of it, mm. um, but there's more because, like you say, that I mean, cancer's the same kind of thing in that it, it's from mitochondrial health um, that it comes from, and yeah. there's lots of different things affect that, like you know your stress and your sleep and 
you know getting enough sunlight and all these things so yeah the the diet's one part which is great to optimize but obviously you need to do the others i mean i found uh recently um one of our our eldest as you know as kids do he's been having some issues at night time with his sleep and he's been up and you know the last four weeks none of us have slept properly and even though my eating's been on point you know i feel a big difference because yeah. my sleep's not been on point and and it's about you've got to get them all lined up haven't you to really get that optimal health well that 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 sort of leads us into the book that I'm busy writing. So it's still, still work in progress, um, an extremely enjoyable one, which has caused me to really think about the nutritional sciences um, and the problems that we have in that area. And we'll get into that in a bit. But to get to your point, there's, for me, there's three foundational pillars to metabolic health. Your first pillar is going to be your nutrition. Your second pillar will be sleep, as, as you've just mentioned. And your third pillar is going to be movement, so exercise. And you have to have all three. You, you can't sort of pick and choose one or the other. If you're lacking in any one of those three, your metabolic health suffers for it. And what I've come to understand, and the, the, the case that I'm putting forward in the book that I'm writing, is that it, it's metabolic health, which sits at the foundation of non-communicable diseases, onset and reversal, autoimmune conditions, onset and reversal, and mental illness, onset and reversal. And it's because anything, whatever the cause may be, whether it's environmental, whether it's nutritional, whatever might be causing it, it could be genetic, you could have a predisposition to something. The, the common pathway is the degradation of your metabolic health. And what I mean by metabolic health is, and it, it's important to be specific about this because it, it, it's a bit vague if you just go and Google metabolic health. Metabolic health is the sum of the chemical changes happening at a cellular level responsible for the extraction and provision of energy, the creation of genetic material required to facilitate your your essential life functions, which keep all your body systems working, digestive, cardiovascular, respiratory, endocrine, so on and so forth. So it, it's all the activities at a cellular level that enable your body systems to work correctly. And when you look at all the diseases we're talking about in terms of lifestyle diseases, NCDs, autoimmunes, uh, mental health, they're all diseases of one or more of those systems. So the cause is not necessarily nutrition, not all the time, often it is, but the pathway to onset and reversal is metabolic health. And that's why nutritional interventions are so powerful in improving management of the disease and potentially even reversal thereof, depending on where you've caught it and how clean your eating is. Yeah. I completely agree with you. Uh, I believe, as I said, I was speaking to someone the other day and I was talking about, you know, similar things. And I said, I'm I'm yet to see any kind of health condition that can't be, you know, hugely improved, if not completely reversed through through diet and lifestyle, um, which obviously, you know, is, is improving your metabolic health, as, as you said about. And I'm a complete believer in that and that it's being caused by it. You know, that you look at the amounts of um, illness and health conditions and obesity and everything there is stuff that didn't used to be around hundreds of years ago and the amount of it it's, it's got to be down to what we're doing which is 
our food and you know also our lifestyle which our yeah. lifestyle is really unhealthy for humans too um, and and we're ca- we're causing it to ourselves and and as you say if that's the cause reversing it is also going to be the the cure yeah so yeah. tell us tell us your book do you have a title for your book yet it's called conquering king's stomach conquering king's nice nice i like yeah, it yeah, yeah. so so it's, what what was it that kind of led you to to start writing the book or or inspired you to do that I had surgery on my left knee this June um, without going into all the specifics. It was a stage one ACL revision. So they've taken out an old failed ACL graft that failed back in 2004, along with all its metalwork and everything. So in the bone tunnel within my femur and my tibia, taken all of that out and then put bone plugs in. To, to graft and form the foundation for my next ACL replacement, which I'll hopefully get in the new year. Um, and my recovery from that has, has been phenomenal. Like the speed with which the inflammation and everything reduced and allowed me to get back to functional movement training, regain full extension, flexion, um, and then get back to strength training has been absolutely mind-blowing i mean i'm 16 basically 17 weeks in now i've got the left leg back up to full strength it matches the right leg fully functional again i'm going surfing in a couple weeks um so it it was the start of that journey and seeing how well things are improving but then also um i was looking at ways of potentially generating a side income like a passive income um And writing a book came up as one of the suggestions when I was having a look online to try and get ideas. And I thought, well, you know what? I've spent the last five years absolutely geeking out on all the science behind this, on all the conspiracy behind this. And we'll get into that in a moment. Um, If you talk to the average person on the street, they don't have a clue that any of this is going on. Like they take at face value what they're told they should be eating by the authority figures that we have in place and they don't see the wood for the trees. So maybe I could come at it from the perspective of a self-help book to try and unpack this in layman's terms, make the information available to the average everyday person who hasn't spent the last five years down all sorts of rabbit holes, give them a step-by-step sort of action plan to implement that knowledge and and see a turnaround in their own metabolic health. So, decided, yep, I'll, I'll give that a go. Um, and it's, it's been a hell of a journey. It's, it's taking a lot longer than I thought it would have because I'm having to constantly rewrite stuff. And I find what I'm doing is I'll, I'll write it how I understand it in the first instance and then read that back and then go, hmm, how would I explain that to someone who's never come across this? And then I'm having to go back and try and word it as if I was trying to explain it to my daughter, for instance. Mm-hmm. Not not dumbing it down as such, but just making the information available in layman's terms without all the acronyms and jargon and everything that comes along with having spent time in the space. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think it's amazing that you're doing it. It's great to, to share your knowledge with, from, from what you found and from your experience. It, it's brilliant. And as you say, I, I can imagine that the hardest part is not just getting it down there, but as you said, getting it down in a way that someone can understand who's kind of coming into it blind and um, I, yeah. I imagine that's quite a challenge because especially you know within this space I'm always talking to people who are also part of it and we talk about stuff but then if you talk about those same things to someone who's completely outside of it you can't just speak about it how we are because 
you know yeah. they don't understand it you've got to break it down so yeah i imagine that that's been quite a challenge how, how long has it been that you've been writing it now i think i started in late july early august so i'm a few months into it already um, i've got a good few chapters done um and and yeah it, it's nice because i can't remember whose quote it is um so it's, it's not my own saying. It's a saying I've come across from someone else before, but I, I can't remember who it is, so I can't give them credit. But it, it goes something along the lines of, if you can't explain something to a 10-year-old in terms that they'll understand, it's because you don't understand the topic. Mm. And I thought about that, and I was like, okay, well, my daughter's eight. So let, let me write this as though I'm trying to explain it to people in her sort of age group within her demographic. Um. And in doing so, I'm really having to make sure I understand the stuff. I can unpack it accurately. And factually, it's a nonfiction book. So it's full of references, um, being as accurate as I possibly can. I'm not, I'm not there telling a story. I'm, I'm laying out the facts in a, a manner that the average person can take and understand. It, it, it's enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I've, I I have heard that um that saying before that, yeah, you've got to, if you can't simplify it enough to explain to a child, then you don't fully understand it and um, yeah. i imagine that through the process of writing it you've been expanding your own knowledge too because 100%. it's i know that you know to to i think they say about you know to really reinforce stuff into your brain if you first you hear it and then you either teach it to someone or you write it down and that helps it to go in and i imagine you've been digging in even deeper into some subjects too yeah it, it, it's actually it's, it's caused me to reconsider something to realize that Myself and societally, we, we've become very, very tribal. Um, so at the beginning, I was sort of all about keto <laughs> and then all about carnival. Um, and what I've had to accept and realize and then looking into it further is it, it's actually a bit broader than that. Um, and then we'll sort of go down one rabbit hole quickly and then I'll come back to this and, and it'll make better sense. Um, so if you take the work that uh, Belinda and Gary Fetke have done in uncovering the root behind nutritional guidelines, uh, the whole discipline of dietetics and nutritionists, um, and the influences at the heart of where that all came from, and the corruption and the, the vested interest and in how that whole area has been steered, I came to the point of sort of understanding why the human nutritional science space is so conflicting. I mean, it's like a minefield. You jump on Google Scholar or something and you start searching for stuff and I can find articles that are both for and against any topic in any relation to human nutrition. And it's just an absolute minefield. Like trying to make your way through there and pose an argument there's a counter argument to every argument you can pose and it all comes down to who's funded the study what were their vested interests what did they have to gain by this outcome and you start to unpack that and you go well the whole thing is corrupt the whole thing is corrupt and that led me down i, I don't know if you're familiar with professor Barkay. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I stumbled across some of bart's work um and and professor k articulated it uh, in such a way that I, it helped me make my mind up. And it was basically take the whole of nutri human nutritional science, throw it out the window. Because when you compare it to animal nutritional science 
and you have a look at the veracity of the two side by side, human nutritional science can't even compete. And that that's true for very, very good ethical reasons. I mean, we can't lock humans up who are genetically similar and control every aspect of their environment so that we know for sure experimentally what is cause and effect. Ethically, we can't do that. We can do that with animals um, or whether we can or can't. We do it with animals. And so we've got very, very robust science in the animal nutrition space. We've got garbage in human nutritional space. The way around that is to look at anthropology, biochemistry, specifically human gastroenterology and hepatology, to understand what we are supposed to eat according to our biological design. And when you do that, and when you go down those sort of channels, it's absolutely clear that the human being, whether by design or by evolution, it doesn't matter which way you come at this, we are meant and geared up to eat animals primarily, but we also have the ability to use plants to stave off starvation in times of scarcity. Like there's, there's just no way around it biochemically and looking at the anthropology with stable isotope studies and stuff like that. It, it's absolutely clear. Like animal-based nutrition is what our entire system is geared up for. It's what it works best on. And you put that into practice, as you have, as I have, as, as many, of the, many of our colleagues have, um, the results speak for themselves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I, like you, I love listening to, to podcasts and learning. So I'm, I'm always listening to them. And, you know, you hear all the, all the brilliant research on those topics. And as you say, you can't come to any other conclusion. Looking at human history, there's no other conclusion. You know, the vegans can argue nowadays for some moral reason or something for humans to eat plants but you cannot argue with the fact that humans have eaten as you say primarily animals um throughout our, our history and it, that can't be argued and so then as you say you have to look at it i think it's um i can't remember i, I listen to so many people it might be dr shafee who says that you know there's no other animal that change that has changed their diet um you know completely to eat something else like they they, they have a specific diet that they eat <laughs> And that's what's healthiest for them. We're the only species that has decided to eat something completely different and, and look what it's doing to our health. It's, as you say, the proof is in the pudding. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And Dr. Chafee's argument is that if you go into the natural setting, there's not a single other species of animal on the planet anywhere where members of the same species in the same area thrive on completely different diets there's just no example in the natural world and human beings are no different. We have to eat in a way that caters to our biology, our physiological needs. And that is animal-based low carb. It just, it just is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, 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 that was one of the arguments that actually swayed me to give carnivore a try when I first came across it, some of his stuff. Um, yeah, it, it's amazing. And then the other, like you, you talk about eating stuff that, we weren't designed to eat. Our biggest problem at the moment as well is we're, we're eating stuff that didn't exist 100 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, and people don't even appreciate that. People don't appreciate that just about everything that you buy from a convenience store outside of the meat aisle didn't exist 100 years ago, certainly not in the form that you get it now. It's all going through factories. It's all being processed. It's all having additives and stuff added to it, preservatives, 
it's just yeah it's terrible 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 stuff man yeah even even as you say the the vegetables and the fruit and the plants that people are eating even you know yes as you said uh throughout human history at times we would have eaten plants to survive and and different things but they are completely different to what mm. people are eating nowadays they're you know as you said about stuff not existing people think about oh yeah processed stuff but no like broccoli and you know kale and th this stuff didn't even exist it, it's all yeah. it's all it's all been made like people only think that applies to processed stuff people don't understand as you say like pe people can't even believe it when you tell them that you know three meals a day has not been what humans have eaten throughout time yeah people just people live in the now in their own little bubble and they you know anything outside well this is how we've done it my whole life so this must be how humans have always done it and yeah. as you say once you start to look into our past and our history it really opens up and reinforces um you know that, that what that what we're doing is the way it should be done yeah that, that's actually something that i cover in the book um i initially came at it from the angle of i want you you mentioned human beings shouldn't eat or haven't in the past always eaten three meals a day um, and I was coming at it from the aspect of the majority of people's eating does not serve nutritional needs. It serves entertainment, pleasure, comfort, distraction. Those are the primary motivators for anyone's eating today rather than nutrition. And I, I, I was coming at it from the perspective of, right, we need to get people to focus back on nutrition and ignore the rest. Interestingly, in doing it, I had to admit that that's not a good way to look at it. Because when you look into human history, all of our recorded history, food and culture are so entwined, so entwined that it has always been an entertainment, a comfort, a pleasure, distraction. I think there's a strong argument against distraction outright. But so far as entertainment, comfort, pleasure, and the use of food, that, that's been there for all of our recorded history. Um, it, it's so culturally important to us that you can't, you can't unravel it. it. It's just there. So I've had to adjust my approach and my understanding and, and sort of come at it from a, okay, yes, we're going to do this in a social setting. It's, it's important to us. And, and it, it's arguably our oldest tradition is to share a meal with others and to bond over that. Um, but you can at least make sure that what you're eating caters for your physiological needs rather than, just what the taste is yeah absolutely yeah like food being an event um a social event it is great as you say and like you said going back through history that's been a thing but you know as you say you, you still can concentrate on having the right nutrition you can eat for nutritional purposes but do it socially you exactly. know, together and and i think a lot of people's eating now is not even as a social event is it it's you know people are at home on their own stuff in their face with distraction unhealthy yeah. stuff so yeah as a social event it's um yeah it's absolutely fine but as you say nutrition is our our mate i was speaking about um this with someone the other day that the main reason for eating is for nutrition for our body that's mm. there's not that's our main reason to eat and and as you say we've completely forgotten that yeah yeah 100% Oh, yeah, no, it, it's, it's a difficult one to try and get across because the, the barriers in people's everyday understanding about nutrition and what to eat are such that, I mean, we, we've been so indoctrinated since when it was probably the 40s, the 50s, 
um, if we're going into the studies, it sort of points the finger at sugar for cardiovascular disease that were then covered up with counter studies, pointing the finger at saturated fat. And that sort of kicked up the whole sort of crusade against animal fats. Um, trying to explain that to people, you, you sound like you've got your tinfoil hat on um, and are deep down a conspiracy rabbit hole. But fortunately now, thanks to the, the good work of Belinda and Gary, like we, we've got access to those internal memos from the sugar companies, their, their, their own communications with each other showing how they paid off. Those. I can't remember the professor's names, but there were three professors at Harvard who were paid off to falsify studies pointing the finger away from sugar in, in cardiovascular disease. Um, and then there was Ansel Keys in the Seven Nations study. And now, now whether it's unfair because we, we don't have any proof that anyone paid him to falsify data like we do with the Harvard professors. And we don't, he, he's not yet to defend himself, so we can't speak to motive, but whether it was by corrupt motives or whether it was by just not good practice, his omission of all of the other nations, because there were 23 in total, I believe, um, the omission of their data and the putting forward of just the seven that sort of fitted the narrative of saturated fat causing heart disease is demonstrably wrong. We've got access to the data now through freedom of, freedom of information requests, and, and you can plot it all out, and people have. I came across this on the Diet Doctor website. Um, this was... I want to say early 2020, I might be wrong, um, but I think they published it in 2018. Um, and, and, and that's how long ago all of this sort of came out. But most people will probably listen to this podcast and go, what are you talking about? If they haven't spent time in podcasts like this, they won't know it because it wasn't mainstream. But you, you can plot out all these dates and you go, there's absolutely no correlation between saturated fat and heart disease. None at all. Yeah. They're inconsequential. And and even in the the nations he included, it, that was um, that was incorrect as well. You know, some of the diets that he said they had are, are completely wrong. They, you know, there's there's a yeah. couple of them that he said had hardly any meat. And and if you go to those islands and you speak to people who live there, they eat meat all the time. So, yeah, I think it was. Um, I'd be erring on the side of for him being completely fraudulent. Where, like you say, whether yeah. it was paid or whether it was just a personal thing that he wanted those results, and so he made it fit his results. Um, I don't know because I know there was a there was a British um, professor who he was very, um, who was the opposite side. He was trying to say sugar was the, the reason. I can't remember who it was. And, and he uh, had a kind, talking about, he kind of yeah. had a personal vendetta with him. So whether, whether it was even just that or whether he got paid off, I don't know. But yeah, the research is, you know, as you said before, nutritional research is hardly worth the paper it's written on, unfortunately. Mm. Um, and it's sad that, as you say, for like, you know, at least five years, it's been public knowledge that those studies were fraudulent yet have we seen any change on on guidelines? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the first thing most people say to me when they first learn that I follow a, a carnivore dietary lifestyle is, aren't you worried about the cholesterol? And I'm like, well, no, I'm not worried about the cholesterol at all because the cholesterol's got absolutely nothing to do with cardiovascular disease. And then they're like, look at you like you've grown three heads and are some kind of weird alien. But yeah, it just it doesn't. No, I, I agree completely. It's one of the, I've been diving even even deeper into the the whole LDL thing uh, recently because one of the guys I'm working with, he's a lean mass hyper responder. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. So, so I've been looking into some more of the, I, I don't know if you've seen any of the research that Dave Feldman's um, yeah. doing on it. He's like, yeah. So I've been looking a lot into that, which is, you know, really, really interesting. And as you say, it's, you know, that that research so far seems to be proven and hopefully is going to prove that really it's, it's nothing all to do with it. And that potentially the high um, LDL levels are actually maybe what humans should have uh, being yeah. healthy. Yeah, particularly, well, there's perhaps a case to be made about the dense LDL not being mm. all that great. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it, 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 I, I think we get too caught up in the blood work. And I think blood work is a bit of an art form in and of itself, because unless, and I'll, I'll just use like in the health club that I go to, they've got one of these machines that sort of measure you internally and tell you what your fat percentage and everything is. And unless you're doing that so regularly that you get to separate out all the noise, you just can't really determine what's going on. And I I come at that from the perspective, my day job is in mobile telecoms. Um, I, I, I work for one of the biggest operators in the UK and the projects and programs of work that I look after on board, all the new technologies responsible for providing signal to users handsets. And a big portion of that is testing and understanding what actually goes on. And, and you've got to get such robust sample data, like tons of sample data to start to identify any sort of trend and weed out the noise before you can make any kind of recommendations. And I think the same is true for blood testing because there's such variance based on all sorts of things that if you're not doing it regularly, same time of the day, every day, building up that sample data, you can't tell what's going on. Yeah, that's that's a great point because just just something you did an hour before can completely change your your blood levels and your blood test. So yeah, as you say, to get a full picture, you would have to do it regularly, same time, like first thing in the morning before anything or whatever and, and get, and you know, we go back in history to humans who've survived and thrived for thousands or millions of years without doing any blood tests and without trying to, you know, optimize yeah, exactly. certain things. They just ate what naturally was the right diet for them and they were healthy. So I, I don't, unless you have health issues and you have things wrong, I don't, I agree with you that we don't really need to be getting too deep into that. I've never taken my blood kind of half of me kind of wishes I took my bloods before carnivore and after just so I could see the difference, but I never took them before. I haven't took them since. Mm. If I'm doing the right things and I'm eating the right food and I'm looking after myself, I don't really have any reason to. I've, I've come to that conclusion. I started off getting my blood work done because I wanted to be what I saw as responsible with this dietary change. And I wanted to understand what's going on internally. Um, and then I came, ac- <laughs> came up against some resistance from my local doctor, um, obviously being NHS. And then it's sort of like the unwritten rule. They're going to save money in the first instance. Like, is this absolutely necessary? Yes, no. If it's not, fob them off tell them come back in 10 days if it's still going on like and and her, <laughs> her response when getting me to explain why i wanted the blood work done was like well you're not e- you're not eating in line with the dietary guidelines so i can't do this it's like well the gu- dietary guidelines like you don't want to go down that rabbit hole with me because we'll, we'll have a very long conversation and i'm not sure you'll enjoy it but shouldn't the fact that I'm not following the dietary guidelines make you want to know what's going on? And I was flat out told, nah, 
no, if you're not going to follow the dietary guidelines, I don't want to, I don't want to authorize the blood test. I'm not going to do that. And I was like, well, fine. And then I've done without since and I seem to be doing all right. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the thing in the, I don't know if it's the same in other countries, but in the UK, you won't get a blood test until something's seriously wrong. You know, that they're, they're not bothered about trying to catch stuff early. You have to be like seriously ill to get a blood test. I think really, if you wanted to monitor your bloods in the UK, you'd have to do it privately, really, as you and say, get, get hellish expensive. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Better off just, so, yeah. um, yeah, doing, doing the right things and your, your body will be fine. Again, I think it's Dr. Shafee who says that, you know, he said, if I'm doing the right thing, if I'm eating the right diet that my body should have doing the right things, then whatever my blood levels are, are what they should be yeah so no need to worry about it if your if your diet is appropriate your activity is appropriate and your sleep is good then all your biomarkers will be what they whatever the physiological level should be for what's going on in your life yeah exactly yeah it's not something to worry about yeah definitely